it happened to me again. <laughs> it happened to me again. I got another one of these messages that starts out with, I hate to tell you, but have you ever gotten one of those messages yes. from somebody who says, I hate to be the one who tells you this, but, and then they go on and they make some kind of like correction or clarification or some kind of pedantic BS that's always coming up, you know, yeah. uh, I, 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 could I, could I just put something out into the world? Could I just step onto my soapbox just for a moment? Oh, here please do. Comic please Lab, do. Yes. Please if do. I could just, if you find yourself as a person, as a human being with a beating heart, if you find yourself writing out a message at your keyboard, I hate to be the one who tells you this, but the next key that you should hit is the delete key. All right. Because I got news for you. I got news for you. If you hate to be the one to tell me this, that's nothing compared to me hating to be the one who has to listen to it. I don't want there's listen, I, I as speaking on behalf of all of the people in the world who don't accept one spelling for every word. And I'm one of those people. I think that there should be multiple spellings for every word because I come up with all of them on the fly. I, I, I appreciate a, 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 a very helpful correction on my spelling right. errors uh, or, or a, a, anything like a, a, like a, a, a contingency or a, what's that word when you make a story and you forget how the story went halfway through? I think you're uh, living it in real time, I think is what it is. <laughs> it starts with a I uh, complacency. What's the word? Anyway, who cares? You're going to let me swing, aren't Brad, you? Brad, I hate to be the guy to tell you this, but you need to know that going in. <laughs> anyway, I there's a nice way to do that, but I hate to be the one who tells you this is smug. It's yes. very smug. Don't well, do it. Don't be that person. Don't say that. Here's the thing. Here's the dirty little secret. They don't hate to be it. They love to oh. be it. They're living for that moment of being pedantic. They are tripping over their own feet, running to the keyboard so yeah. that they can hate to be the one to tell you that. They're the first one to, to comment in the forums or to tweet back at you that, oh, uh, listen, Brad, I hate to be the one to tell you this, but oh. you don't, you don't oh. hate it one bit. You've been living for oh. this. Oh, you happen to, <laughs> you happen to learn. you live for. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you so learned listen. 10 years ago that it was champing at the bit, not chomping at the bit, and you've been dying to tell me. You're, that's you're right. That's right. Well, you know. oh, so uh, that's, my, that's my message for today. If you hate <laughs> to tell me something, do us both a favor. Don't. <laughs> so, Dave, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but I'm super excited. We've got a new sponsor to talk to our Comic Lab listeners about. That's right, Brad. It's DreamHost, who uh, you've heard us talk about it many, many times on the podcast here, especially because Brad has had such amazing success with it over the years. Uh, DreamHost has been uh, hosting Brad now for how many years, Brad, has it been hosting you? Oh, I. you know what? I've actually tried to go back and find when I started with DreamHost. Well, let's just say so uh, long to, as long I don't as even Brad's have email anymore. career has been shining. DreamHost has been <laughs> yeah. has been hosting him. And what's amazing is I specifically remember a customer support call because you were like, holy heck, not only did you get personalized help, not only did they help you fix the problem that Brad caused right away. Yeah. But <laughs> they then they then asked you, I remember this for approval. They're like, hey, I see something else that you've messed up on your server yeah. settings. Can we fix it for you with your approval? Approval, bada bing, bada boom, it's better because of them. 
Yeah. And, 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 and it was super nice. They, like they asked permission because they, they didn't go, you know, scrounging around in my files and changing things willy nilly. It's like, here's exactly what I'm going to do. Do I have your approval? I, I did. All of a sudden, my site's running better than it was before. Yes. So I got to tell you, you want to go to dreamhost.com slash comic lab and check out the hosting packages they've got for you. They've got transparent pricing and a 100% uptime guarantee. Uh, if you choose the shared starter plan, that starts at $2.59 a month. I, 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 the, the phrase there, as always, is cheaper than a cup of coffee. I, I mean, I, I don't know what else you can buy for $2.59 other than stellar web hosting with DreamHost, but there it is. <laughs> That's right. And you're going to want to specifically go to DreamHost.com slash Comic Lab. They put together a special landing page just for Comic Lab listeners, knowing what yeah. cartoon creators need, knowing what comic creators love to see. And so you're going to want to go to DreamHost.com slash Comic Lab. Absolutely. And check it out. You're going to get all this stuff for free. You're going to get WordPress pre-installed. Woo! You're going to get you're going to get fast SSD storage. Woo! You're going to get a free SSL certificate. It's all not that getting stuff, Brad, by the way. I'm already in. I'm already in, Brad. And, and keep all going. that stuff that I, like if I had if you had to do SSL certification on your own, you'd be you'd be just like me lost with DreamHost. They got it covered. And if you want an email attached to this domain, they'll get you all set right up for a very, very low monthly cost. I think it's like a buck sixty seven. Again, you're still underneath a coffee order with this. So yeah. I want you to go over to dreamhost.com slash comic lab. Check, take a look at all the stuff they've got available to you. And you'll find out why we are not only proud, but excited to tell you about their services here on comic lab. And on that note, I'm going to say hello, everybody. And welcome to comic lab, the show about making comics and making a living from comics. I'm Brad Geiger, the author of the web comics handbook and the creator of evil link. And I'm his pal, Dave Kellett, cartoonist of drive and Sheldon and co-director of the documentary stripped. And this week's hour of comics advice is made possible by your support at patreon.com slash comic lab. So Dave, Dave, let's talk comics. Let's talk comics, my friend. We've got a whole big slate for today's show. But before we do any of that, I just want to remind this. You, you could be joining us live every week in the Patreon live gab group over at patreon.com slash comic lab. And the show is streamed live every week with a concurrent chat running alongside. And we answer questions before the show, in the middle of the show, after the show. And if you happen to miss the live stream recording for Life, Lover Learning, we got the show archived for you every week. And Bradley, what is the first topic we're jumping into this week, my friend? Well, the first topic we're talking about, uh, jumping into is continuity. That's the word I was looking for. Continuity, <laughs> not complacency. <laughs> that was driving me crazy. Oh my but, God. Because, the fact that it was continuity you know and you happen. had to break the continuity of the point yes. to say, con yes. oh my God, Because you kiss. know what's going to happen? Somebody what? was going to, to be a, to be a smart Alex, somebody was going to write me an email saying, I hate to be the one to tell you this, but the word you're looking for was continuity. Continuity. <laughs> so, <laughs> so none of that. But listen, we've got a great question that came in from one of our Patreon backers, Martin, who says, I'd love to hear your thoughts on print on demand as an option Ooh. for selling one's comic in print form. I haven't been able to find a podcast where the topic has been discussed more than in passing. My impression is that you guys are not big fans of it, and I'd love to hear more of the reasons behind it. And that comes in from Martin. So, Dave, print on demand. Uh, let's just start here. Are you are you a fan of it? Do you see it having a place in your business uh, uh, plan? Where, where do you place print on demand in general? Well, I have to say, uh, I, I will refer mainly in this conversation to my good friend, Brad Geiger, who has done it more. 
Uh, I have not done it in my career, mainly because I sort of rolled the dice on my first book and paid up front for a four color offset printing of the book. Um, it is a much bigger outlay up front. I was much more on the hook. I had a good job at the time when I did it. I was still working uh, nine to five at Mattel at an hour, you know, an annual hourly rate. And so I had a good salary and I was like, you know what? I'm going to take a risk on myself. And so I paid for offset. And long story short, or the only reason I mentioned that is because of that first one that has sort of bankrolled the next book. And then that bankrolled the yeah. next book. And then eventually uh, distributed fundraising came along and now Kickstarter is funding my book. So yeah. I have not done print on demand. And just because the margins are better on four mm -hmm. color offset, if you have the storage, if you can do the shipping, if 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 there's a couple of ifs that have to line up right for you, you know, like yeah. if you're an apartment dweller in a very small apartment in a in a dense city, uh, four color offset is not necessarily for you because where are you going to store them? How are you going to do the shipping? Is it annoying to carry those packages down the four flights of stairs that you have if you don't have an elevator in your yeah. building? What I'm getting at is there's a lot of ifs that have to line up. But yeah. in those cases, print on demand might be for you. And Brad has the better way of, of describing what print on demand is and how it works and how you do it. Well, yeah, let's talk about this because I, I love this topic. Uh, first of all, I, it, I, I've seen a little bit of an uptick in people talking about print on demand, particularly on TikTok, where I've seen it uh, a couple of two, three times being talked about as passive income. Like, it, it, you know, hey, are you looking to increase your hustle? Well, print on demand is a great way to increase your passive income. Uh, so let's talk about what print on demand is. First, yeah, okay. if you've never heard of it, uh, what it is, is basically you upload your book, usually as a PDF to a third party uh, uh, provider. And right. then what they put it out on a store, you point people towards those store. And every time somebody buys a copy of the book, they print one copy of the book and send it off. Then they'll cut you a check for your cut, right? Your right. quote unquote royalty uh, the money that's left over after they subtract the costs and their profit and the shipping, then you get uh, a, a small uh, portion of what that is. Uh, print on demand does not work for most independent uh, creators for the simple reason that they haven't really built their brand yet. Right. Mm -hmm. POD is not going to work for you if you haven't built your brand. Nobody's looking for your book so much. OK. And uh the, the irony is once you have built your brand, you don't want to touch POD with a 10 foot pole because you can get much better profit margins like Dave just kind of intimated. You can get much better profit margins from offset printing. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about this. In, in, and now that we've set the stage, let's talk about this in a little bit uh, granular level of detail. There's right. actually three players at work here, okay? You've got offset printing, which Dave described. Uh, you buy in bulk, and they ship you pallets full of books that you mm -hmm. then uh, send out. They're going to print that on a printing press. They're usually going to use a CMYK printing process. And uh, the quality and the binding and the add-ons that you can do like spot gloss and, you know, a ribbon metal foil or ribbons. Yeah. 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 They're going to be very, very much higher quality there. You can print a better book on yes. offset. The downside of that is that it, you got to pay up front and buy in bulk. Yep. Uh, the upside is you can make a much better profit margin with, uh, with an offset printer and for a Kickstarter, 
the offset choice for me is about the only choice except for a couple of special circumstances yep. because you're looking to generate the largest print margin uh profit margin and that's going to be offset print agree on the other side is print on demand but there's actually something in between we need to talk about first and okay. that's digital printing okay digital printing is very close to the same print process that print on demand uses print on demand uses a digital printing process. And, but that doesn't mean that all digital printers are print on demand. This is going to start to sound like an SAT question, but <laughs> hang with me. You've got to, you can reach out to a, a printer. Your offset printer may offer digital printing solutions. Okay. Uh, and digital printing can often be pretty good quality. Mm -hmm. You can, you can get better paper quality than you do from print on demand. Uh, you can often get some very good binding and some of those extra add-ons we talked about. A, di a digital printer can offer very good quality. I've, I'm kind of a curmudgeon because I always think that offset is a little bit better across the board. Right. But listen, digital printers have made really big uh, uh, strides yeah. in quality. Yeah. And uh, so you can work with a digital printer. Uh, but again, you're going to be in that situation where you're probably going to be buying in bulk. Uh, but it's not going to be quite as expensive that, as uh, offset printing is. Can I posit one thing, Brad, and you can tell me what your thoughts are. Yeah. The, the lowest quality uh, of four-color CMYK process is increasingly close to the highest quality digital printing. Yep. Uh, and by I think that, that's I mean, a fair thing to say. So if you're printing what I would describe as a very basic, maybe soft cover book with limited mm -hmm. color palette or definitely with black and white, um, I have to say digital printing in our lifetime has gotten infinitely better than it was, such that it's kind of getting close to the lowest quality CMYK book, which I'm saying yeah. as a compliment, not as a not as a shot at anybody. I'm saying, like, right. if you're doing a basic book, actually, digital printing has gotten really good, oh, particularly black and white and take yeah. color out of the mix and digital is right up there. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, so that's the next thing you've got to realize. But again, you're probably going to be buying in bulk. OK, yep. print on demand is way on the other side that uses a digital printing process. And because it's one size fits all, you don't have hardly any choices in things like paper quality binding uh, in terms of like really good binding. You're going to you're going to you're going to have a choice between saddle stitch and, and perfect binding. Perfect binding just means they use yeah. glue. You'll have a choice between it. here's what you get and here's what you get. Kind of. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, but if you see perfect binding, that just means they're gluing the paper yeah, into the yeah. spine, right? Uh, it, you're not going to have a lot of choices. It's a one size fits all thing because it has to be mm -hmm. a one size fits mm -hmm. all. They can't they can't mess around. You they got a few standard sizes. You're going to pick one of those sizes and you're going to fit in there. Uh, the the upside for print on demand, no expense at all. You don't put any expense into it. Uh, it, it it's zero risk. The downside is that the profit margin is incredibly small. You're you're going to make a buck, maybe not yeah. even a buck per book. You're gonna you're gonna make a very small amount of money, and uh, you're not gonna you're not gonna generate a whole lot of sales uh, because not for nothing. But it's uh, I think uh, my own personal uh, read on this. 
is that consumers have kind of gotten savvy to the whole print on demand thing. Mm -hmm. And as soon as they see that, they start to back away a little bit because uh, some of them may have gotten print on demand books where the, or the pages have already started falling out of the spine or the, the quality wasn't great. They, they had that waxy paper. Yep. Yeah. Uh, print on demand uh, is, is not a great choice for you because of all of those things. And I'll now, jump in for a I'll second, go, Brad. Go ahead. I'll just want to jump in and say, uh, there was a web cartoonist that I loved. They're no yeah. longer working, but a web cartoonist that I loved. And I bought a, a three of their early books, right? But another thing that print on demand does is it it sometimes can diminish demand for return purchases oh, because yeah. oh. I bought their books. I loved their work. I did not yeah. love the books. The books were of such low quality, frankly, that I was like, why am yeah. I spending money on this? And so, however, there were people that were putting out money for beautiful books and web comics that I was like, what is, these are lovely. These are, oh, it's four color. These are gorgeous offset print. I'm definitely going to buy that one again, you know? And yeah. so it's, it's, there is also the question of investing in yourself for the long term because you're sort of marketing your future book with your current book. And so yes. print on demand doesn't do a great job of representing the best you, I think. Oh, let's talk about that. I'm so glad you brought that up because I've seen this happen a few times in independent comics uh, where the person uses a, a, a you see this quite a bit. Every now and again, somebody says, hey, I'm doing a Kickstarter for a book. And uh, you see that the that it's only like a thousand bucks or a couple thousand bucks. Right. Mm -hmm. And it's and you start to think to yourself, huh, how can you possibly service this Kickstarter with a goal that's only a thousand bucks? You know, and, right. and you see that they just barely reached their goal or they they went past it by a couple hundred. And uh, you come to find out in some of those cases, I can't speak to all of them, but the ones that I followed up with, they're using print on demand to service the Kickstarter. Oh, OK. Really? And okay. I'm going to tell you right now, I think that's a terrible, terrible idea. And I'm going to tell you why. Because like Dave just said, by and large, these print on demand services uh, are, are not yielding really great quality books, right? That, that's not what they're about. When you think about it, when you're going to a one size fits all kind of outfit, they're right. not focused on quality. They're focused on uh, the long tail of marketing, uh, getting a whole bunch of people. They're, they're focused on getting a million people that just buy one copy of one book from one author right, uh, right. across a different uh, million different iterations. Right. So stop and think about this. Think about the amount of work that it takes to turn a viewer into a reader. Right. Somebody that just sees you on social media, you turn them into a reader. We've talked we've spent a couple hundred episodes talking about how difficult that is to do just to yeah. convert somebody from a casual bystander into a reader. Now, think about the amount of work that it takes to turn that reader into a fan. Now they're invested in you. But that took an enormous amount of work, right? Right, right? Now, think about the amount of work that it took to turn that fan into a backer. And here we'll talk about Kickstarter. We, we've said on the show before, you've got you to send that message out. They got to hear it seven times before they take action, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You've worked an amazing amount of work all this time, all this work that you've done. Bop, 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 bop. You've done an amazing amount of work. You finally turn that person into a backer. They back your Kickstarter and you send them a low quality print on demand book. Yeah. Here's what happens. And I've seen this happen. Uh, here's what happens. Uh, that person never comes back. 
That person gets burned once and will never back you again. And they might not even tell you. They'll just no. go quiet. They just won't back again. You know, Why so would it's they not... start a fight? They, right. Listen, every once in a while, Dave, you'll get, a, you'll get an email from a disgruntled fan, and they'll say, I hate to be the one to tell you this, but... <laughs> <laughs> you caught me right as I was sipping my coffee, damn it. <laughs> but no, you, so, and, and again, we're making the distinction here between print-on-demand and... Uh, a high quality digital printer where you're you're making the choices to right. get better quality paper right. and doing all of those things that make this a, a better product. We're not talking about digital printing. We're talking about people. And, and, and again, by the way, all that stuff also brings your cost up. Uh, and so it, 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 I always see this uh, and I always think about it when I see a really low Kickstarter uh, campaign for a book. And I'm like, yeah, that makes me really uncomfortable because I want to know how they're servicing those books. How are they fulfilling those books? Right. And 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 by the way, I I totally get it because let's say you did a Kickstarter and and it went and you and you you did a, a an honest to goodness Kickstarter for an offset book and you didn't get the mark. You didn't you didn't succeed in the in the mm -hmm. Kickstarter. It's very, very understandable to do a Kickstarter for maybe a quarter of that amount and 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 just do a print on demand. It, it, and and now you've succeeded. You you get your Kickstarter and you right. send the books out. But then the next time you do that Kickstarter, maybe half the people show up right, right, <laughs> for the right, same thing. Right. That's that's cutting your own throat through making some short-sighted decisions. And that's sort of been my response with people who even do storefront POD is that, um, yes, you might capture them once, you might capture them twice, yep. uh, but yeah. eventually people go, ah, I don't know about that. I've, I've spent oh. the money I wanted to support this comic, but these are not great books and they don't last. Yeah. They, you yeah. know, cause every POD books, uh, unfortunately, like Brad said, because they're not bespoke and they're not being watched over by a print master, they're yeah. just being churned out on a machine, uh, you know, one of a million variables that, that gets churned out by Amazon printing or this or that. And um, and so they just don't tend to hold up well. And and so even yeah. if you're offering these as your standard fare in your store, the problem you will suffer over time is that they just don't hold up well to to encourage people to come back for a second purchase or a third purchase. You know, I, I go back to that phrase again. The, the the book that someone is holding in their hand now is the marketing for your next book, which is oh. why I spend so much time really trying to make my books look and feel feel is important. Feel good. So that the paper stock is there, the, the quality of the binding is there, the the yeah. look and the crispness of the printing is there. Um, I'm I'm a stickler for that. So far, I have not had a book that hasn't met my standards because I really try to to have it where, oh, I know Dave Kellett. I, I may not want this book, but I do I do know that he puts out a quality book, and I will get the next one. Or you know I'll you know I the, the I guess what I'm saying is the quality of the book is never the limiter of whether someone or not is going to kickstart or back a Kickstarter of mine. You know, Brad. Yeah. Like they they know either from their own past purchases or from the grapevine, Dave Kellett puts out a good book because you don't want it to be like. I don't know about Dave Kellett. I, I, I backed a Kickstarter one time and I got a flimsy yeah. little saddle stitch thing that fell apart after four weeks. And, you know, it's it's what I'm getting at is it's just it doesn't help your future marketing to put that book in their hand now. Yeah. Yeah. And 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 and, and that quality could hurt you in the long term. So right. so here's here's the question that I ask myself, and, and that is, would I ever suggest using print on demand? Would there be some cases where I'd want to use uh, print on demand? There's a couple actually that I would actually use print on demand and, and okay. a couple that I, I actively do use print on demand. 
sometimes there's something that you've got that for whatever reason, you just really want to have. And and I understand this. I just want to have the book. I want to have it. I want to have it in in my hands. I want to have a physical copy of it. And it's more about me than anything else. Right. And, mm-hmm. and, and, and so like, I've got the complete Greystone in up on print uh, on demand, it's all black and white, which is one mitigating factor. I don't think I would have done if it was color, uh, but it's four and a half years of daily comics with, with no breaks. So it's like, I think 350, 400 pages, <laughs> eight and a half by 11. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. it's a hard cover. Uh, it, it, it's, it's, it's huge. It's size Wait, of a, a hard Bible. cover POD. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, wow. wow oh, they okay. do hardcover too. Okay. So it's, it's a hardcover, uh, print, a, a black and white. And I mainly more for myself than anything else. And I've sold one or two copies of it through the years. Not a lot, not a lot. I could see something like that, which I, I would, and there's no demand for it. I would never be able to put a Kickstarter over for something like that. No, right. there's not enough people who want that. Uh, and, 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 and I, and, and it would also be cost prohibitive. It would be so expensive to print that offset, yeah. uh, that, that it's just, it's just, there's no reason for it. Uh, so I put it up more for myself than anybody else. And I don't really promote it a whole lot. Every now and again, when somebody says, Hey, where's the old Greystone in comic strip? Cause the site I think is long gone. Uh, they're, they're, what, what about that? I can always point them towards that and say, right. if you really, really want it, here it is. It's 50 bucks, you know, knock yourself yeah. out. Yeah. Uh, and, and every now and again, if I see somebody who's just starting out just a, like first couple of years and they need that little burst of positive reinforcement and, and, and they're wondering whether a Kickstarter would take off right. every once in a while. I've suggested that that person just put something up, uh, put it up on print on demand for like a month just to gauge uh response with the idea that you, you're going to take it down when you put the Kickstarter out there because you don't want it competing with you mm-hmm, and you don't want mm-hmm. it out there at the same time. Uh, every now and again, somebody who's just starting out that needs to feel that little spur or uh, wants to gauge whether this is a good time for a Kickstarter uh, you'll, you'll get very, very rapid response there because it's an, it's an instant. It, this thing is here. Now you can buy it. Right. Right. You can see whether it, whether you've got a big demand for this thing or not. Yeah. And I, my advice would be very similar to Brad's, which is sometimes new young audiences. And by young, I don't mean age wise. I mean like a, yeah. a young audience of like, we've been following this comic for a year or two. Sometimes your audience can sort of sense the joy and excitement of the new and they're yeah. willing to go along and dive in like, hey, guys, uh, you know, you can be honest about it and be like, we're going to try a POD run because I think it'd be kind of yeah. fun just to have this in POD for, in, in, in book right. form. And if you want to try it and and like Brad said, I think for a, a first time sort of trial run, it can be for sort of uh, good for you, good for a new, young, energetic audience. And a good test case to be like, do I really have yeah. an audience that might plunk down for a Kickstarter? Now yeah. I know. And so if you're thinking, hey, I'm going to do a Kickstarter two years from now, uh, a POD now is sometimes a good test case of like, hey, it's fun for this young audience and it's fun for for me. And it sort of gives me a trial test numbers for the eventual yeah. Kickstarter. And in that case, I think POD could work. Yeah. But putting a putting a, a line on that, once you do go to the Kickstarter, 
Again, I yeah. think I, I'll come out and say it. I think you're cheating your backers if you deliver them a POD product as the result of a Kickstarter. Because Kickstarter, morally, Brad, oh, morally, aren't you saying uh, I, I'm looking for funding to create yes. a thing and POD doesn't require funding. You know what it I mean? It requires nothing. It requires. And so there's a little bit of a moral bait and switch there as an artist that I'm just not cool with, which is like, yeah, let, if we get to $2,000, we could make this book. Well, with POD, the truth is, if we got to $8, you could make the book, you know? Yeah, all, all you need is a, is a dial-up internet connection and a PDF. <laughs> a dial-up internet. Yeah. And so morally, it just feels a little bit squishy as you're like, I don't know. Did, did we really need to do a Kickstarter for this? This feels a little yeah. odd. So just to put a, a final note on, on my end of things, I would say just uh, just a reminder and an underlining of what Brad said before. POD is not going to pay your rent. It's not going to pay your mortgage. It's beer and pizza money when it all comes out at the end after a run of POD or a big push of POD. So it's fun to make the thing. It's fun to try it with a young, energetic audience that would like to see the first thing from you. But it's not going to it's not going to do a car payment. It's not going to do your rent. It's going to be beer and pizza money. And so if you go in with that kind of thinking, then I think you're on the right path. Hey, if you're listening while you work, take a minute to stand and stretch. And while you're doing that, we're going to tell you why you should join us on Patreon. When you do, you're going to get hours and hours of podcasts that we've recorded just for backers. And exclusive Patreon posts that go even deeper on Comic Lab topics. And access to our exclusive Discord server, which is a thriving community of professional cartoonists. So you can support the show you love and get tons of actionable resources for your own cartooning. And listen, if you can't swing a pledge this month, we get it. No worries. Yeah, yeah, listen, you can still support the show by rating us wherever you get your podcasts. Just leave a five-star review and a few kind words. That, along with mentions on social media, is incredibly helpful. Now, everybody, let's talk comics. So, Dave, are you ready for some updates on Twitter? Oh, Brad, honest to God, can I tell you as a friend, I've yeah. been champing at the bit all week to, to return to that phrase, to talk more about Twitter uh, on the show. I'm, well, I'm, I'm boggled by this whole process. So yes, yes. let's dive in. Well, for our listeners, we do record the podcast in advance. So today we are taping on November 8th. So here's because I'm sure by the time this podcast gets out, more dumpster fire stuff will have happened. Oh, my God. Absolutely. <laughs> I, I have no doubt in my mind. But in the meantime, as of today, year of our Lord, November 8th, uh, here's where we stand with Twitter. Uh, we, we we find out that Musk uh, fired roughly half of the Twitter work workforce in the first week of his takeover, about 3,700 employees, many of whom found out they were fired via email, some of whom said they found out they were fired because all of a sudden they didn't have access to their software. They're like, they didn't have access to Slack servers. They didn't yeah. have access to stuff they were working on. All of a sudden their uh, computers didn't work and bingo, you're fired. Well, it yeah. turns out in the UK, uh, the law is you have to give somebody 30 days notice before you fire them. So his doing that on day one immediately set off a number of lawsuits in the UK, uh, Great Britain and Ireland, uh, because this was uh, against the law <laughs> in terms of uh, labor disputes. Uh, he now has to fight that. And if that wasn't bad enough, Dave, within days he learned that those some of those 3,700 people that he just fired when he walked in the door, he found out, lo and behold, that some of them were doing things that needed to be done. 
before they yeah. actually were doing stuff and now he's begging them to come back come back yeah, to the, work uh, apparently the a good chunk if not all of the android app team had to come back but or was offered to come back because yeah. they got rid of him too quick which is just it's just 4d chess that he's playing brad we don't oh. get it but he's operating oh, yeah. on a 4d chess level yeah. is what's happening and he also fired 75 percent of the moderation team which resulted in a huge exodus of advertisers. They were already on the f- fence, but yeah. you know they were need- needing to be assured that they were not about to place an ad for the Chevy Bolt, and the Chevy <laughs> Bolt is going to be right next to hate speech. You know, that, which right. is an advertiser's worst fear. The whole yes. point is to get out your the word. You're spending money to get out the word of your product in a positive way, and so of course they all pulled back on it. You know, and yeah. he he tried to blame activists for it. Right. But the truth of it is, and unfortunately with the Supreme Court decision, corporate uh, dollars are treated as free speech in the U.S. And so as as has been historically the case, anytime you wanted to do labor disputes or protests or financial uh, uh, things, um, the withholding or spending of money is is viewed as free speech. Uh, and so the very thing that he was arguing for as being a free speech platform, he then complained about when when corporations did it because it was yeah. kind of a no, no, not like that. Not like that kind of free speech. Right. No, no. Well, and, and and again, as you said in the beginning of your talk up, it wasn't it, I don't think it had anything to do with activism at all. It was no, just corporations I don't think so, no. not wanting to have their stuff uh, uh, misused. And uh, if you saw on Twitter. So basically, here's what happened. Elon Musk then has this big phone conference with a bunch of top executives and advertisers, uh, people who are buying advertising. And his whole job is to uh, is to calm everything down, say, hey, I'm in control. Here's what we're doing. We got everything under control. It's okay." Uh, He he later goes out afterwards and blames it on activists. And Mm -hmm. one of the people, one of the senior execs that was on that phone call said, it, in a reply to Elon Musk's tweet, say, this isn't how it happened at all. We told you that we were concerned about moderation and that you had fired 75% of your moderation team right, and, and just right. clarified him. Bing, bang, boom. Here's what we said. At which point, Elon Musk, the proponent of free speech, blocked him. Just, <laughs> just blocked the advertising exec. Uh, 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 Brad, honest to God, it is the emotional maturity of a 13-year-old boy. Yes. It's, yeah. I, I keep coming back to this, but uh, go ahead. You were, you were in a full mode there, but uh, I, I, I am boggled by this, but keep going. It's, it's, it's really watching a, pouty, a, a pouting teenager who hasn't yeah. been raised very with very good uh, <laughs> uh, methods of dealing with their anger. According to Kara Swisher, who covers Silicon Valley for New York Magazine, there were CMOs who literally paused or shifted budgets during that call because of the uncertainty. In other words, this call that his job was to get everybody calmed down, as he was on that call, people were canceling money, shifting budgets, getting the money as far away from Twitter as they could because he bungled it so badly. Yeah, markets react in real time in the same way that like when when Z uh, Z was uh, was announced as the third premiership for China, the yeah. Chinese stock market dived in real time. I don't know if anybody yeah. saw that when they were announcing the Politburo and stuff. The same thing happened here in real time with Musk. Yeah. Like he's trying in his own haphazard thirteen year old boy way to assure them of of the steadiness of his control. And they're like, "Good God, let's bail out." It's not a good sign when intelligent marketers and advertisers bail in real time from you. Uh, as they're purchasing. So also, Brad, one thing we didn't talk about, but uh, much like TV upfronts, for those of you that are familiar with the phrase upfronts, 
you know, a TV network once a year will go out and say, hey, we're renewing, uh, I don't know, Grey's Anatomy for season 48. And wouldn't you like to buy advertising on that? And then they sell the advertising on that big weekend in New York. It's called The Upfronts. Well, on Online World uh, has a very similar thing. And and Twitter normally books about a third of their advertising uh, for the year in this period. Right. Yeah. Apparently, Twitter during this period, because Musk was in the process of taking over Twitter, sold next to nothing. So they're going into their year with their surefire rock bedrock of advertising not in place. And the advertisers are not currently buying. And it's losing, what is it, $4 million a day, Brad, as a platform, according to Musk. And it has a billion dollars in interest payments. Yeah. Oh, my God. I mean, it's just a clusterfuck of of a dumpster fire right now. And it's it really is failing in real time in front of our eyes. We're watching it collapse in real time. Uh, and, and, and the hits just keep on coming after de- declaring that comedy was legal again, which I think was one of Elon Musk's tweets uh, and championing free speech. Uh, some people started to mock him on Twitter, including web cartoonist Jeff Jocks. Uh, what happened? They got their accounts suspended. <laughs> by Mr. I free mean, speech you can't you can't write that in terms of, the, of the perfect balance of of you know comedy is legal again nope you're all banned all right well geez, Co- comedy is legal again except when i'm the punchline yeah exactly <laughs> then you're suspended and and uh listen uh, uh hate speech has also surged i'm sure a lot of that has been state actors trying to see how much they could juice it i mean russia is not our pal in this their bot farms right. have started to kick back up again again but the washington report uh, washington post reported that uh there was a 500% surge in the use of the n word just in the yeah. days after oh my i mean i see it you could see it happening it's just it's oh. it breaks your heart though to see that as imperfect as twitter was they were somewhat trying to keep the, i mean it was at least I, I have to at least give them credit. They were trying their best to uh, in their own limited ways. And now mm. it is just a free for all of, yeah. of, of dismoderation for a, a system, you know? And so what, now let's, let's, let's get down to the meat and potatoes. What this means is uh, Twitter ha- had two really main ways of bringing revenue in uh, three, if you count data mining, <laughs> but, but the, the, the first way was advertising. They got blitzed on advertising. Right. The second right. way uh, is monetization of the platform itself. Uh, that's where we start talking about that $8 verification fee. He wants to charge right. $8 a month for a verified account. And he's also made it pr- very clear that if you don't have that verified account, your stuff is not going to uh, uh, fight past the algorithm. In other words, yeah. if you do post without paying uh, you're not going to be seen. The algorithm is going to favor other people's posts. Brad, how do you like a 1960s Chicago mob style? Hey, it would sure be a shame if your feed oh, would, be a, would be a terrible shame if nobody could see your pretty tweets. Oh, boy. Yeah. yeah. Tell it, you what, it $8 comes... to make this trouble. I'll go away for you if you give me that $8. He, you're be, we're being shaken down for placement yes. in the algorithm, but yeah, keep going. It's amazing. It's a shakedown. It's, it's plain and simple. But here's the deal. Here's what you need to be prepared for. That's that's what they have to do now. They're losing four million a day and a few days have gone by since he made that admission. Uh, So it may be getting higher for all we know, but they're losing money. They're bleeding money and and they're not going to be able to keep the lights on for much longer. Their only choice at this point is to monetize every experience on Twitter. 
So yeah. you got you're, it, we're, they're going to want you to pay for tweets. They're going to want you to pay for everything that happens. In fact, I read a I read a piece online just this morning before uh, starting up the microphone that said that one of the plans is to put all of Twitter behind a paywall. If you want to use Twitter, going to have to go through a paywall to use it. You're going to have to buy your account. Uh, which means that, of course, uh, the other report I saw in the past, and this was MIT estimated that in the first week, Twitter lost over a million users. Well, we already know, and let's let's jump into this to our personal aspect of being yeah. those million users, is that Brad, in, in a way that I thought was very admirable, uh, took Twitter off his phone. And now yeah. it's only a unilateral or unidirectional uh, social media for him, much like Instagram or Facebook, which I, I was, honestly, when we first talked about that last week, I was taken aback at the speed and the strength of your decision, but also oh. because I realized how strong my own social media addiction was. I mean, yeah. you probably heard it, friends, as me trying to struggle through it in real time of like, I know I need to take this off my phone, but yeah. it's hard, you know? And so anyway, I wanted to say thank you for that as a friend. Genuine thanks, because you modeled for me what I needed to do. And I did it this week. I'm, I'm, I am Good. going to keep posting on Twitter on via the desktop, but I've taken both TweetDeck and Twitter off of my phone. And I have to tell you, there's a weird muscle memory that happens when I go to open my phone and my, my finger literally goes to go to Twitter. Uh, and it's going to take me a week or two to shake that, but yes. it's, I, I already am realizing like, oh hell, I'm going to have more time to create now. Yes, And that's yes. not a necessarily a bad thing. But another thing that I've done in case this might help anyone else on my desktop version of Twitter, I haven't unfollowed anyone, but what I did is I went through my entire list and I muted everybody that I follow because really? I want to psychologically make it uninteresting for me yeah. to go to Twitter. Interesting. So, uh, because, uh, you know, I, I want to remove basically, Brad, I'm trying to remove the Las Vegas stimulus of every time I go yep. like because I here's the thing. And I'm I'm just being honest about the addiction. What what do I really want here? I'm probably wanting a form of social connection. Mm. And so mm. what Twitter classically gave me and this is probably if I'm being honest about it, Twitter from five, six, seven years ago, I could check in on my friends and occasionally yeah. sort of overhear conversations between a friend of mine cartooning in Oregon and a friend of mine cartooning in Philadelphia or a friend of mine in Toronto and another friend cartooning in, in Salt Lake. You know, wherever they were, I could hear them basically on Twitter yes. chatting with each other and chime in with my own little witticisms. That was fun for a guy that's in his own studio 360 days of the year by himself. It was fun. And I, I, I will miss that social human interaction, right? Yeah. But I'm just being honest that I, I would Brad and I were already talking about how it was becoming less and less useful as a professional outlet. And so anyway, long story short, I just want to thank you, Brad, seriously, publicly, because you modeled good behavior on 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 that. And I am following it so far and I'm I think I'm going to be better for it. So yeah. thank you. I appreciate you. Well, I appreciate that. I, and I'm glad I'm glad to hear it. I'm, I, I, I and muting your followers, I think, was a really interesting. I might have to look, in, uh, look into that because I like the thought behind that, where you're literally trying to wean yourself off it and say, I, I need to make this less interesting. Well, yeah. And just I don't know if that was a misspeak, but um, I, I didn't mute my followers, per se. I just muted the follows that I like if I'm following Brad Geiger, right. I, I muted you. You know, I, I don't know. By the way, I don't know that I muted you in case you wanted okay. to talk to me. I, <laughs> no, you know, what? I, I didn't mute you or Comic Lab or anybody that I work with in case they were something, some project that we're working yeah. on together that yeah. I would need to retweet. Anyway, long story short, you guys get where I'm going with that. I'm trying to make. Twitter psychologically uninteresting to yeah. me so that I don't feel the necessity to go back. 
Here's one thing we should probably take a pause and talk about because uh, ever since we had the show that went out when we first talked about this, I've seen mm-hmm. a few people maybe grapple with with this. Here's what we're not saying, uh, because we have and always will be pragmatists. We are not saying that we've stopped posting or nor do we really endorse that at this point for for no. anybody. We're pragmatists. There's still people there. That means we're still doing stuff there. Uh, But this is a change from active social media to unilateral social media. In other words, I'm putting a lot of outgoing messages out, but I'm not necessarily uh, participating in messages coming back to me. And and I've gotten down to where like I'm checking just a couple of times a week to see if there's any reader responses or comments that I need to respond to, because that is important to respond when somebody talks to you. But again, I've long since given up on this idea of a quick response means algorithm gold, because that ter- I, I've seen for years that that was a lie. So I don't care whether I respond to them right away. I do want to respond to them. We've just uh, talked about a shift between uh, active social media where you're actually social to unilateral social media. Yeah, because let's let's sort of reframe this in a metaphor of a party, right? Yeah. I, Dave Kellett, I'm a fun, outgoing guy and I'm at a party and there's 10 of my friends and they're fun, outgoing people and they're at a party. Yeah. But there's one asshole in the corner and uh-huh. he now has bought out all the beer and he's he's bought out all the punch and the snacks and mm-hmm. he's slowly increasing the discomfort level of the party overall. He's mm-hmm. getting louder and louder and louder. And so what we're trying to do is I'm still trying to honor the 10 friends that are with me that are nice, in this case, my followers. Yeah. And I'm trying to give them the comics that they want and that they like. But I'm kind of making a decision that pretty soon here, I'm probably going to have to leave this party because this asshole is getting louder and louder and louder. And it's making it it's it's like a lobster in a slow boiling pot. I, sooner yeah. or later, I'm going to have to jump out of this pot. But for the time being, I'm being pragmatic about it and honoring the kindness and the friendship that I've tried to offer to my friendship or to my followers on social media. And so. Right. Like Brad said, I, I'm, I'm still being pragmatic in sharing that with them, even though I'm pulling back on a personal level for my own interactions. Yeah. And as, and we're going to start talking about, you know, where do we where do we uh, go next? And, and actually, we've got some thoughts on, on that as well. But one thing I want to just take a quick pause uh, because I saw on the Discord server somebody saying, well, I don't know where to self-promote next. I don't know or I don't know whether this place is a good place to self-promote. I just want to take a quick before we go into the next section here. For those of you who are looking or who have that same question, remember, social media is not about self-promotion. And if you're trying to go at it as a self-promotion thing, you're probably making a couple of missteps. It's it's really much more about sharing your work, building community. And then when you have an ask like a Patreon or a Kickstarter, you've got that community to ask. But if yeah. you're approaching social media as a place to self-promote, you need to adjust your 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 vision a little bit because you're you're probably putting out an awful lot of messaging that people aren't really interested in listening to yet. Yeah, I think it's just a matter of terminology and that it, yeah. it, it is self-promotion in the sense of like this. You're moving someone up the ladder of right. a casual viewer who may have noticed you for the first time. Oh, who's this Brad Geiger? He's intriguing. To then they become a casual reader. Like they'll slow down if they see you in the feed. Oh, this, I've seen this guy's work before. I like him. I'm going to keep reading. To yeah. then becoming a reader, to then becoming a fan, to then becoming a backer of some way, shape or form. Right. They're right. sort of moving up the ladder. So in a sense, yeah, is that self-promotion? Yes. But it's also building a relationship is another way to look at it you know yeah and so with your social media you're trying to to move them up the ladder and and also in some respects you're going to increasingly try to move them over to your website or move them over to your mailing list and and in so doing 
get them to eventually become a backer. But yes, so I'm I'm with Brad on this. And also, I, I let's talk about this for a minute. Yeah. There is, I think, there is no clear winner in the post Twitter world in oh. terms of where we would recommend or where the world recommends people go, because Twitter has what three hundred million, three hundred fifty million users, something like that. Mm. I don't remember what it is, but um. So Mastodon is, is making a lot of noise of, oh, we've gained 50, 60, 100,000, 600,000 people, whatever it is. Uh, it is So far, that's a drop in the bucket, right? Yeah. Now, does that mean that Mastodon may win out? Yes, it may win out. I, I, like some people, think that Mastodon is a little bit not ready for prime time in that they make the hoops to jump through just hard enough that the average oh. person... Think oh. about the person in your life that's not quite tech savvy. It was tricky yeah. to get them onto Twitter. Mm -hmm. And now it's even a little harder to get them onto Mastodon. So, yes, the people that are a little tech savvy and they they still know how to uh, FTP. They know how to uh, install an RSS. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, I, I'm saying it tends to be the people that have a little bit more tech savviness are like, yeah, I get it. Mastodon, I got to choose a server and then the server has its own rules. All right. Well, that's I'll figure this out as I go it's just a little trickier than it needs to be in terms of the traditional social media setup is what I'm saying. And I, I don't know that that's going to help it long-term. Oh, I'm, I'm very much thumbs down on Mastodon for that reason. It's, it's very siloed. But even then, uh, like for, for those of us that were concerned, I think about moderation on Twitter. Yeah. I personally feel like Mastodon creates uh, a, a kind of a fertile ground for bad state actors to be like, all right, well, we're going to create a server that uh, is going to have some rules here that allows for some election interference or this yeah. or that. And what I'm getting at is if, if there's a certain state uh, uh, that um, that wants to interfere in, 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 in the way that American social media works, I, I feel like they, there's going to be workarounds in a Mastodon system that might not have existed in a centralized Twitter system. Yeah. It's just a fear of mine. It may not come to pass, but we'll see how it goes. Uh, pillow fort, thumbs up or thumbs down? I mean, here's the truth is you don't, you don't see a lot of people chat, chatting about it. I, okay. No. Let me, let me give you a broader, before we go into specific names, Yeah. here's how I think it's going to go. You don't move 300 million people overnight, right? There's going to, Brad and I are a little quicker on the punch in terms of taking Twitter off our phones for the yeah. average person. It's going to take six to 12 months, I think, to get that Twitter off their phones. Mm -hmm. Um, and so this process of a dying social media network effect. Because remember, network effects can work in reverse in the same way that they work in the positive. A network effect is like you go to where everyone in your life is. So if your mom and your friends and your old college buddies and your sports team are all on a network, that network draws you in because you're going to go to where the people are, right? right? The same thing is true in reverse. As people start to leave, as Shonda Rhimes leaves, as Jeff Jacks leaves, as Dave Kellett maybe pulls back, as Brad Geiger pulls back, yeah. people start to leave a network. Right. And so as that kicks in over the next six to 18 months, it's going to take another 16 to 18 months to build up whatever the next one is. Uh, I think it's yeah. just going to be. There's no clear winner, I guess, is what I'm saying in this. There's no perfect Twitter alternative that you can enter your email and be off to the races and the servers are working great and you're ready to go. I wish mm -hmm. that existed. I wish someone basically just coded a Twitter clone and and was off to the races. But, it's you know, that you can't just do that overnight. I got to tell you, in my opinion, both Tumblr and Reddit are awfully close. I I'll be honest. I do like Reddit, but I don't I do. How do I say this? I I 
don't know that it's the perfect Twitter alternative yet because yeah. the socialness of it, that thing that I described earlier of being able to overhear conversations with my friends yeah. Yeah. and chime in when Brad is talking to Scott Kurtz, say, or Chris Straub is talking to David Malky or something. I can't, I, I don't necessarily see that, you know what I mean, on Reddit. That's not what Reddit's designed to do. Mm -hmm. Reddit's really good at saying, here is a bit of information. Let's all, con let's all conglomerate on that and talk about that bit of information, right? No, I agree with you a hundred percent. That's it's very different. Although, although I will argue that that they're they're close, but but you're yeah. right, they're they're not the exact thing. Right now, a lot of people uh, in my purview, a lot of people that I'm talking to, are watching where the where the creators are going. Right? Yeah. My wife yeah. is like, hey, uh, because she she likes romance authors, right? So she's like, you better get on Mastodon because all the romance authors are going to Mastodon. And right. I hear somebody else tell me I should be going on Twitter because all these other people are go or on Tumblr because all these other people are going on Tumblr. And that is half of the equation watching to where the creators are going. But I'm going to argue that the other half, it's kind of like a chicken and the egg type of thing. Yeah, the other half is. are where are the users going to go? Because here's what's going to happen. The users are going to go to where their favorite creators are, but the creators are going to go to where the most users are. And so uh, what I think is going to happen is we're going to have a couple of uh, like, it's going to be like a teeter totter for a little bit. It's going to look like one for a little bit. It's going to be like the other and everything's yep. going to uh, kind of slowly even out. Uh, hell, we might see the resurgence of MySpace before long, but at some point as, as users chase creators and creators chase users, we're going to find one kind of really has stepped in without us even knowing uh, filling the void. And I, I think that's going to take months, don't you, Dave? Oh, that's why I'm saying it's going to take six to 18 months, maybe double yeah. that in terms of how this will shake out. Because uh, as Brad said, it's haltering half steps. Like everyone kind of goes, oh, do we do Mastodon? Oh, I don't know. It's got yeah. problems. Do we do Pillow Fort? Oh, I don't know. There's no one here. Or, oh, it's got problems. Do we do Tumblr again? Oh, I can't do my NSFW there. And so there's a lot of haltering half steps, like Brad said, of some users go here. Some some creators go over here. Oh, wait, no, right. the users are over there. So now the creators go over there. Oh, wait, that, now they're changing their terms of service. Now we all go over here. And yeah. it's going to be a little. I mean, one of the reasons why Facebook took off like a rocket is because it was perfectly suited and perfectly timed when MySpace made a number of key and crippling oh, bad decisions. Yeah. And people don't talk about that very often, mm -hmm. but kind of similarly, MySpace shot itself in the foot in a couple different ways. And Facebook just happened to be perfectly positioned. <laughs> I don't think there's anybody that's perfectly positioned right now. Now, with a quick injection of VC money, maybe the German-based Mastodon could, could up their servers and buy a bunch more space and make it an easier sign-up process so that you're automatically assigned to servers rather than having to try to find a server that can do you and does the server have enough space? No, it doesn't. And what are the terms of service of this specific server? I don't know who can say. Like, I understand and I appreciate what they're trying to do with the federated server system. Mm -hmm. I, I, again, I just default to the average person doesn't want to deal with that nonsense, you know? Like, yeah. if you ask me, Brad, would you like to go buy uh, socks at Costco or would you also like to figure out how Costco does the logistics to get you the socks? <sighs> I don't give a shit about the logistics. You know what I mean? I just want, I just want my feet. socks. Yeah. And I think the average person with their social media, they don't want to read a whole diatribe of like, okay, now you got to pick a server. Okay, now you got to see if you like the terms of service for this server. Do you agree with all the rules of the server? Do you, does the server have enough space to fit you? Like it's, yeah. it's, I think it's a little too complicated by half. Uh, on on what it offers a new user that wants to try to get to a Twitter like clone, you know? Yeah. And it, and it's interesting you mentioned Facebook because through all of this, I've been absolutely tickled by the fact that 
as Twitter implodes and we're all talking about, hey, are we going to go to Mastodon? Are we going to go to Pillowfort? Are we going to go to Reddit, Tumblr? Nobody is suggesting Facebook, even as a joke, even as even as a like, oh, you know, we, we could go to Facebook, even as a joke, nobody's suggesting Facebook. Oh, my God. Yes, you're right. No one is suggesting Facebook. Yeah. Boy, and, and, sometimes, and why do you sometimes think the that absence is? of a thing makes you doesn't re- you don't realize you're right. Yeah. No one has suggested, hey, let's all in mass go to Facebook. Not at Holy all. Holy hell, that's not good for them. Oh boy. And, that, and what that what here's what I think is happening. And maybe it's it maybe it's you know because once my, bitten, twice shy. I mean, you know, you're like well, I got screwed once on there. I'm not going that's back. That's just it. We all all of us creators, like the the average user, doesn't realize how bad they're being screwed by Facebook again because of your socks analogy. But the creators know that that's a, a loser deal, that we've been getting screwed already for, for years and years by Facebook. So if the users start to say, hey, maybe I'll go to Facebook, we're like, yeah, you, you could do that. Or there's, or there's other things. <laughs> like yeah, We're not yeah. even really uh, uh, joining that conversation if it does come up. And, and it doesn't right. seem to be coming up in my crowd at all. No, but not at all. It, it, we're, not, we're not even in, uh, engaging that from the creator's side because we know that that's a that we're, we're already getting screwed we're just going to get screwed more so can i uh, from thirty thousand feet can i talk about one thing that's been bothering yeah. me which is and i'm not the first by any means to say this but yeah what sucks is when facebook first got started and, and make no mistake zuckerberg was imperfect from the beginning in terms of being mm-hmm. kind of a terrible human being but there were a lot of aspects of Facebook that worked really well at the beginning, if yeah. we're being honest about it. Yeah. There was a lot of aspects of Twitter that worked really well. It was fun. When we, when, if you're honest about it, Facebook was fun when it first got started, yes, it right? Was. Yes, it MySpace was. was fun when it first got started. Patreon was fun when it first got started. Kickstarter. The, my problem with all of these is that eventually they have to pay the piper of either the angel investors or the VC money or whatever money got in there where they want their return to grow and grow and grow. And what was a simple, fun, easy platform gets complicated, gets algorithmically changed. Your, your, your once chronological timeline gets now is ag- algorithmically driven. The yeah. ads get more intrusive and weird and they all kind of self break. Uh, I don't know. I don't have a better word for it. They break what was beautiful about them in order to chase more dollars. And in so doing, hasten their death. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, uh, they like, I think as Facebook still was what it was in those first iterations, it would still be a thriving place for artists, but yeah. they had to shoot themselves in the foot to try to chase the immediate dollar. And so they killed themselves long-term. Like what, I, I don't have an answer for that. I'm just expressing my frustration that all of them seem to have died by the same pattern. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and a lot of that had to do when they offered the IPO and they started offering shares, because yeah. once you start uh, becoming a company that's traded by shares, the shareholders don't care about the company. They just want growth. And if you offer, and I saw this in newspapers a lot, if you, we had really great profit margins in newspapers uh, for a long time. Yeah. Uh, but once those newspapers started getting shared publicly, last year you had, let's say, uh, a, a 25% profit margin or a 30% profit margin. Which was amazing, by the way. Yes. And newspapers had it. Newspapers had it. Uh, but the shareholders would say, great, 30 is great. Next year it's 32. Right. And and if you and then they'd start firing people and laying people off and 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 making the paper smaller and they just get to 32 and the shareholders would say, great, next year it's 35. And at some point, the whole thing collapses because the shareholders just want more. And at some point, there's no more. 
There's no right. more. You can't do it anymore. And and that's that's what's leading a lot of these to to go right down the pipes. And maybe listen, I'm I'm a huge fan of capitalism, but it, Lord, Lord knows it has its problems in terms of this kind of stuff. But maybe this is the kind of thing that could save Mastodon as a future platform in that it is federated. And, yeah. and so the data is shared, but it's not centralized, unified and VC money or IPO injected to super growth. Uh, and so, you know, to those people that are arguing for Mastodon, I, I see you, I guess, is what I'm saying. I see why you think that Mastodon might be the one to go with. Yeah. Um, I think the jury's still out because it's really it's only a small percentage of the Twitter followers have jumped over to Mastodon. There's still a lot of different ways to 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 it could go. But anyway, so, Brad, we brought up Patreon as as one that brought in venture capital or and yeah. angel investing or both. I don't remember. But um, so my concern is we've mm. seen this pattern happen again and again with MySpace, with Tumblr, mm -hmm. now with Twitter, where the demand for ever increasing profits or profits of any, you know, at the, at the, at the death of anything else eventually kind of kills the golden goose, you know, or, or at least if not a golden goose, a goose that laid bronze eggs, so, you know, it doesn't have yeah. to be like, they could have, could have lasted for decades and be laying bronze eggs, but no, you had to change it to be golden egg. And, and now yeah. you killed the goose. Anyway, um, we both know, and we've talked on this show that the sort of Damocles sword over Patreon is the money that got invested Yeah. at the time, by the way, it was a very large sum of money on Patreon for what the value was. Mm -hmm. Someday that Piper is going to be uh, come calling and the, the debt is going to come <laughs> due. And I don't know what's going to happen to Patreon when they suddenly say, oh shit, we need to make a ton more money and squeeze yeah. more blood from this stone that is Patreon. Yeah. And, and I think you're going to see it. I, I, I mean, listen, I, I stand second to no one in being a cheerleader for Patreon. Uh, and I've said that many times on this show and, 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 and it's true. It's true. I think, I think they are one of the best things to happen to independent cartoonists Agreed. and independent creators uh, ever, ever, ever them and Kickstarter uh, were, yeah. were game changers for us. brilliant inventions. Yeah. Yes. Uh, I, I think we're going to start to see it's been, it's been very interesting to see just in the last couple of weeks, Patreon has uh, announced uh, a new feature. They, they announced new features at the beginning of the year. If you remember, we went into 2021 and they said, we've got a bunch of new features and we kind of waited. And then middle of the summer, they, they unleashed the, the new features and Am I, 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 again, I love them. I love them. But the new features pretty much meant that my button that used to be on the left is now on the right. And then the thing that I used to know where it was now I can't find. And, and I, <laughs> yeah, the <laughs> everything that used to be so easy and yeah. they changed the font, maybe, you know, they, 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 they changed the icon and it, a lot of uh, surface level stuff, but in terms right. of, for me, a cartoonist working in images, not a lot of, uh, not a lot of feature changes that I saw that was a big thing. I think the biggest thing, if I'm being fair, was the auto save, which I guess is nice, uh, I suppose. Right. Uh, right. But the, 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 the features from my personal one person perspective were kind of a letdown. Yeah. Then uh, just and we're in November, they announced that they're going to have video hosting. Now, for people working in video, this is huge. This, this is, is a, a big deal. Big, yeah. Because instead of post before you'd have to host a video on YouTube or Vimeo and then post a link on Patreon. Well, now, instead of all of that, you can just host the video on Patreon. Now, this is where it got interesting. 
that, and unless unless there's more that I don't understand, which if there is, I'll do. We'll talk about it more in subsequent episodes. But when they made that announcement, what I saw in that announcement was that this was going to be available to pro and premium members. Yes. Now, if you're not if you're not quite so familiar, Patreon has four membership levels: light, pro, premium, and founders. Founders were people like Dave and I who jumped on a Patreon way at the beginning. And when they broke up uh, Patreon into having different membership levels, uh, very kindly, they said, hey, if you are one of the people that was with us since the beginning, you get uh, brought in under the old rules, as it mm-hmm. were. Right. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and and they have very beneficial payment structures if you're at the founders level, without a right. doubt. And right. of course, at those other levels, there's different pay breakdowns and different percentages. Uh, this video thing is not available as far as I can see at the founders level. And I think this is one of the ways, Dave, we're going to see in the coming months of Patreon doing exactly what you're trying to say, getting more profit. They're going to do everything they can in 2023 to get us off the founders level and onto those other levels. And they're going to do it by enticing us with nice things. Yeah. And to be perfectly clear about this, it's sort of a eh, more power to them. Like you with a a system like this, you can. And that's part of it is to entice me when I go to buy a car to say, and would you like air conditioning? Oh, okay. well, that's another 500. Oh, and would you like floor mats? That's another hundred. So what I'm getting at, you entice people in at a certain price and then and then work them up the ladder. It's kind of what we do with Patreon itself, Brad. Yes. We always say get people in at the two dollar level and then entice them up to the five dollar and then entice them up to the ten dollar. You know, because it's a it's a natural psychological thing to do in sales is to sort of move them up the ladder and in this case now patreon is doing it to us and yes and i'll be honest even though video is not the killer feature that's going to move dave kellett up the ladder right eventually they're going to code something that i'm going to be like oh damn it they have good archives now that's going to move yep. me up the ladder oh, or they're going to have number one on the list or, yeah or they're going to say oh wow handling this catalog of stuff that we've been yeah. building for years now that is a tangled mess that's that's one of the biggest problems that my patreon backers report dave they don't yeah. know how to access all the stuff that i'm posting and i'm posting about 30 times a month they don't exactly. know how to get all of it yeah or or say patreon codes search that actually works like my i might move up the ladder for that too so yeah. what i'm getting at is i see i like you i agree that this is their new way to move existing because a lot of those founders are big income generators for patreon they've oh, yeah. been there for five six seven eight nine years and they've been they've been building their uh, audience and and you know even lost patrons know and are aware of them and very often come back that happens with me that happens with brad so someone mm-hmm. who's been on patreon for seven years not only has an existing patreon base they are patron base they have an existing x patron base which also has its own value in a way in a market oh, yeah. so um what i'm getting at is there it's very i see like you i see them intentionally making this choice to start coding new features that are going to entice us away from being on a founder level and paying more on the pro or premium level and, but I guess I, my fear runs deeper, though, Brad, that at some point they're going to have to chase much bigger sums that are going to become untenable. And here's the thing. I, I'm, this is kind of an unanswered un, uh, fear and that I don't have an answer for everyone of what to do if and when Patreon starts to screw the pooch in the way that yeah. Twitter did or Tumblr did. I don't know what we'll do then. 
I mean, we'll kind of have to. I know what I'll do. I know what I'll do. And you're going to have to get over here and talk me off of that ledge. (laughs) Because I got a plan, baby. No, I I, I actually do have a couple of ideas of things that we'll have to do in all seriousness. But uh, I don't want to do them. (laughs) I I like it just the way it is right now. I don't want to do anything different. But you know what? Honest to God, Dave, we've said this on this show so many times. Listen, I didn't want to move off of the ad model in 2013. I was terrified of moving off the ad model. And we said it last uh, show or the episode before that uh, it it was very painful to go through that, but it brought us to a much nicer place. Uh, All we can do is uh, keep our wits about us, stay calm, don't make any panic decisions and try to get to a nicer place again, don't you think? I think you're right. I mean, uh, again and again, I, I want to say this as a friend, too, because I feel like this yeah. on the last show, you were just on fire with good advice. And uh, thank you. And, and no, I say this sincerely, is that I really appreciate your pragmatism and your steady because I've seen you when you freaked out. It's not like you're not a human being. You do. You do have freak out moments, but you're, you've been very steady for me in this moment of, of being like, it's going to be okay. We're going to work this through, Dave. You're going to be fine. And, and in the meantime, take Twitter off your phone. And yeah. I think that's true. I think. <laughs> I think you have spotted what most people are just going to take a couple of months to see, which is that Twitter is about to become a dumpster fire and it's just best to stay. Anyway, I just want to thank you. You have had solid advice last week and this week, and I really appreciate your counsel in how to handle this going forward. Wow. I thank you very much. I really appreciate that. And listen, uh, as a good gambler, I know when to, I know when to quit. And when I'm ahead, this is when you quit. So this has got to be the toit at which I say, you've been listening to comic lab, the show about making comics and making a living from comics. Your, your hosts have been my friend, Brad Geiger, the editor of webcomics.com and the creator of evil Inc at evil comic.com. And my close personal friend, Dave Kellett, the co-director of the comics documentary stripped and the cartoonist of Sheldon at SheldonComics.com and Drive at DriveComic.com. And the Comic Lab theme song is used with permission from Andy Creighton at TheWorldRecord.net. And this episode was edited by Matt Woodard of Woodsong Productions over at www.woodsong.media. If you love Comic Lab, you can rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts, and you can give us a five-star rating over there on Spotify. Keep us up there in the top of the comics podcasts of Spotify, and you may hear your review featured on a future episode. Brad, uh, uh, we just need five or ten people on Spotify. I did the math. We can get back to a five, a fully five-star rating from our current 4.9. Oh. Whoever gave us something less than a five, I'm so <laughs> mad at you because we had a perfect five. Uh, and comic, I, I can still be small, right? I'm I still can be can. a human being about this. <laughs> That's right. And Comic Lab is made possible by your support on patreon.com slash comic lab. So we'll go ahead and say that twice. Patreon.com slash comic lab. I saw you posted your new Evil Ink comic. It looks yeah, great, yeah. my friend. Sure I'm excited would be about a shame. it. Sure would be a shame if no one was to see it. I got to tell you, it would be a shame. Hey, I see you got $8 leaning out of your pocket there, Brad. I tell you what, we got a way that can make that comic appear in front of all sorts of people. Let me just see that $8 real close, real quick. But, How about that, I, my friend? I just, I, I just, I, I, I'm already verified. I, I, I don't, I don't, I don't want to give you $8 oh, on top. Oh, look at that. Your check mark went away. Hey, oh, that's a dang shame.
shame. I tell you what, eight dollars sure would be. I tell you what, sure would be a shame. Oh, I tell you what, bad. Oh, are you complaining? Well, I tell you what, temporarily suspended, but that eight dollars could make it all go away for you, Brad. All your troubles could go away with that eight dollars.